church, American gospel, the church needs to be reminded and re-engaged on what the true gospel is. This isn't unprecedented because in Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus is reteaching the law. So it's always good to relearn. No matter what profession you're in, you always have to continue learning. So the gospel is the gospel. However, I want us to re-engage that true gospel. I want to let you guys know what the gospel is and who the gospel is for. So first, who the gospel is for? The gospel has no gender. The gospel has no race. The gospel has no nationality. The gospel is for whoever, whoever believes. So that word, whoever, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you were born to, doesn't matter what you're going through. If you believe, the gospel is for you. Amen? Amen. Okay? So... As we open this new series, the goal is simple, to exalt God by preaching the gospel, the gospel in the Bible, not the gospel in our hearts. Have you ever heard a Christian say something to you that you're like, hold up, is that even in the Bible? Like, is that like, so have you ever met a Christian that believes everyone is going to hell for everything? You lied, hell everything. Now, here's the thing. That's just not true. <laughs> because whoever believes, whoever believes can have redemption. So we want to talk about the gospel of the Bible, not the gospel in the human heart. So by showing you how important the gospel is, I'm going to attempt to answer this age old question. The question of what is the meaning of life? And by that, I'm going to answer what is the meaning of your life? What is the meaning of your life? Now, when we talk about meaning, I want to be clear, your mission is not your meaning. If you are an athlete, that's great. That's your mission. That's not the meaning of your life. If you are an artist, that's great. That's your mission. That's not the meaning of your life. Fellas, one day I hope you all get married and be a great husband. That's your mission. That's not the meaning of your life. Ladies, one day I hope you get married to an amazing guy and, 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 and be a great wife. That's a mission. That's not the meaning of your life. My mission is to be the best husband that I can be to my wife. However, that's not the meaning of my life. My wife's mission is to be the best wife she can be to me. However, that's not the meaning of her life. Here's why. What if you fail your mission? What if you don't become this star athlete? What if you don't become this great artist? What if your marriage fails? Does that mean God stopped loving you? Does that mean your life is now meaningless? No. So there's mission. The mission is not your meaning. And thank God the mission is not your meaning because everyone in this room will fail a mission. We have multiple missions in life. You won't succeed them all. You'll hit some but not them all. And thank God, God isn't judging you on if you are successful in your mission. Your mission is meaningless without purpose. Your, missionless is, your mission is meaningless without purpose. Your purpose, you are made for purpose, by purpose, with purpose. 
You're made for purpose, by purpose, with purpose. So we're going to talk about purpose. When we talk about what is the meaning of your life, we're talking about what is the purpose of your life. So I'm going to try to do that by reading two passages, two chapters of scripture. So it's kind of lengthy, but I'm going to try and do that by reading scripture, not giving you my opinion. So when people say, what is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my life? We can look to Genesis 2. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis 2. We're going to start with verse 5. Genesis 2, verse 5. We're going to try and look at the account of the creator. So if a creation wants to know what the purpose of it is, we should ask the creator. If you are an artist in this room, you know what I mean. When you create something, people can have whatever interpretation they want of it. But you as the creator, you know why you created it. You know the purpose you created it for. So let's look at our creator and our purpose. So Genesis 2 starting in verse 5. When no bush of the field had yet in the land... And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord. God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So stop there. Could it be the meaning of life is to live? I want you to live. God wants you to live. If God didn't want you to live, we'd still be dirt. Just because you're alive doesn't mean you're living. There are some people, there are some people that they just are, but they, they just exist, but they're not living. They don't go out and make new friends. They don't go out and try anything. They literally sit down and do absolutely nothing. That's not my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you live. I love video games, but if you spend eight hours playing video games, you're not living. You're not. I, I, I love social media, but if you spend eight hours scrolling, you're not living. You are meant to live life. Go outside. I know that's weird. Okay, let's continue. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put man whom he formed. And out of the garden, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Okay, now let's skip down to verses 14, 15. The God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God created these rivers. God created all of these places. But he placed man in Eden, a specific location. Could I tell you, the family you were born in, you're supposed to be born into that family. The gender that you are, I might get in trouble for this, but I don't care. The gender that you are, you were born that gender for a reason. Okay? Your friends, where you are in life right now, God orders your steps. So, do not compare your life to anyone else. Don't wish to be born to another family. The family you got, where you are, is where God intended to put you, okay? Sometimes, sometimes we don't like that. I spent my entire childhood saying, God, why was I born with this? However, God allowed me to be born with this for a reason. This, when I say this, I'm talking about sickle cell anemia. That's not my purpose. 
That's not the meaning of my life. It's an obstacle, but it's there for a reason. Let's continue. And God had commanded the man saying, you, surely, you may surely eat every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So here's God saying, I want you to live all of that. You can eat anything you want except this tree that I told you not to eat. Scripture also says everything is permissible, but is it beneficial? So, y'all, you can do what you want. You can do what you want except what God tells you not to do. It's so simple. We think sometimes we look at the Bible and we say it's so restricting. I can't do anything. That's not true. <clears throat> There is so much that you can't do. There's so much that you can do. You just can't do little things that God told you to do. Sometimes we focus on the no so much. We focus on the things that aren't allowed so much when we turn around and we don't realize what is allowed. One tree wasn't allowed. One tree, yet Adam and Eve was focusing on it. I used, so imagine this is a tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? In this entire room, this entire property is the Garden of Eden. If I know this tree, I can't touch it or eat it, why am I not in the main sanctuary having fun? <laughs> There's a bunch of trees in the main sanctuary. There's a bunch of trees outside. But it, I feel like Adam and Eve were just like this, right? Just, oh, oh man, oh man, oh man. Oh man, why can't I touch it? Why can't I touch it? Why can't I touch it? Why, 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 why? When there's so many other trees, stop focusing on the note. There's so much, you can, you can fill in the blank. You're in your life, you can. The only things you're not supposed to do is what God tells you not to do. And when you really look at the things God tells you not to do, it's really not that big of a deal. It's really not that big of a deal. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should live alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. And then we skip down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man while he slept, he took one of his ribs closed up in its place in flesh, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then the man said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is to be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then God says, this is why, this is why a man leaves his mother and father. This is why, why were we created? This is why, you know, Satan didn't show up until Eve did. You know why? When Eve showed up, the family was complete. Satan left Adam alone. Adam was naming all of the animals. He didn't see anyone that was compatible to help him in the way we are to help each other as humans, in the way a wife is to help a man. And God created Eve and then Satan showed up. So Satan didn't show up until family showed up. This is why. So could it be when we look at Genesis 2, what is the meaning of life? You're a living being. You work the land, use what you got, what's in your hands. You do what you want, accept what God tells you not to do. And you have each other. We have each other. We have family. Could it be the meaning is found in each other? 
So what's the difference between purpose and meaning? What's the difference between purpose and meaning? A purpose is the reason you exist as far as the meaning is the mission. So we see a lot of meaning. We see mission. The mission was not to eat the tree. The mission, he failed. The mission was to name all of the animals. He succeeded. However, the meaning was family. Now let's jump to Genesis 5. So in Genesis 5, we're going to read the account of Adam's line, the account of his family. All right. I'm going to, it's going to sound redundant. However, I'm going to read all of this for a specific purpose. Okay, so Genesis 5. Genesis 5. Here we go. This is the written account of Adam's family line. Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived to 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 870 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Canaan. After he became the father of Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years. Then he died. When Canaan lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Canaan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel lived... 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because he took him away. Let me stop there right now. I pray everyone in this room can have a life like Enoch, where you can walk faithfully with God and you don't have to die. If you read Revelations, one day, a bunch of stuff is going to happen. A bunch of scary stuff, right? Some people are pre-trib. Some people are post-trib. They think we're going to be raptured before. Some, they think we're going to be raptured after. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to say, I pray if all of that happens in our lifetime, I pray you walk faithfully with God. And instead of having a physical death, you're raptured into the clouds with God. If it doesn't happen in our time, when we die, we'll wake up in heaven. However, I pray we can walk faithfully with, this, with God in this room. Amen? Amen? All right. So here we go. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, 
Methuselah lived 782 years. He had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived to be 187 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord cursed. He cursed the ground because of Adam and Eve's sin. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 100, 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 70, 777 years. Then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Jephthi. So what we see here what we see here is a genealogy from Adam to Noah. We see 10 names and how long they lived. We see legacy, the legacy of Adam and Eve. We can count the years. When we count the years from Adam to Noah and the time of the flood, 1656 years had passed. All right, so over 1600 years, these names, these men, they lived real lives. They had failures. They had successes. They had children. We, we know the names of the firstborn, but they also had other sons and daughters. These men lived real lives, just like you and I live real lives. However, we don't know what they failed at. We don't know what they succeeded at. Now, there are people that we know the story of their lives. We know the failures of their lives and the successes of their lives because it's meant to teach us. But these men in Genesis 5, the first family line, 1600 years, we don't know. When, when I die, it's going to say 1987 to whenever, whatever that year is. That little dash in there, unless you knew me personally, you don't know what I did. You don't, know, you don't know the times I cried about whatever. You don't know the times that I got upset. You don't know the times that I sinned. We don't see that here. So could it be your mistakes aren't the meaning of your life? The things you fail at aren't the meaning of your life. And the things you succeed at aren't the meaning of your life. So there are great men and women that have done great things over the past hundred years. Just in this country, let's just think about in this country alone. A hundred years later, some of the things that they were fighting, we're still fighting. We're in a better place, but we're still fighting the same things. And they were great. We read about them in their, our history books. However, unless you're a history major, if I were to ask everyone in this room, do you really care about the life of someone that lived a hundred years ago? If we're honest, we're going to say no, because I care about my life. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to live. So I can't really focus on someone that lived 100 years ago. So what does this mean? No matter how great you do, your accomplishments will be forgotten. Records are meant to be broken. Kings and queens fall. Empires fall. Unfortunately, this is actually in the scripture too. Life is kind of meaningless when you stand alone, when you live for yourself alone. So Solomon, David's son, when he said life is meaningless in Ecclesiastes, it's because as wise as he was, he spent a lifetime of not doing what God told him to do. He spent a lifetime of acquiring things 
Yet he never was able to do what God told him to do. So he was surrounded by a thousand wives. He was surrounded by all of these riches. He was surrounded by this amazing temple. Yet for him, life was meaningless because life is not about your successes or your... Life is about family. Life is about how close you are to God. And thank God you don't stand alone. Thank God you don't have to stand alone. You're not alone. You got God. But let's, let's really break down Genesis 5. What is Genesis 5 about? Genesis 5 is about family. Now, family is a very, very interesting word because some of us, we have a great understanding and respect and love for family. Some of us don't. So in a perfect world, in a perfect world, in a biblical world, when we talk about family, we're talking about a nuclear family. A nuclear family is mom, dad, children. That is a nuclear family. Adam, Eve, children. However, we don't live in a perfect world. I didn't come from a nuclear family. Some of you do, praise God. Some of you don't, it's okay. We have single parent families, mom or dad, children. We have extended families. This is when families live together. So if you ever knew a family that the cousins lived in the same house, two sisters lived in the same house so they can pay bills, two brothers, two aunts, a family lived together. The children are raised together so they can have a family unit together. That's an extended family. There's the childless family. We think of this as the forgotten family because when we think of family, we automatically think of children. But there are couples that can't have children. They've tried everything, but they don't have children. There's the step family or the blended family. So that's when two adults are divorced, they have children and they bring their families together. Whichever one you fall into, Family is family. But here, here, here's, here's what I want to read. I want to read from a quick passage from this article by Deborah Tennant. Right? When friends are like family. My friends are the sisters I was meant to have, a woman told me. Another said that her friends are more precious to her than her sisters because they remember things from her past. Her sisters don't and can't because they weren't there. A man commented that he didn't enjoy a particular friend's company all that much, but that was beside the point, he's family. I interviewed over 80 people for a book I'm writing about friendship and what, what was struck by how many said um, that one or another friend is like family. These comments and how people explain them shed light on the nature of friendship and the nature of family and something that lies at the heart of both, what it means to be close. The families you're born into, that's the family you're given. But as you grow, you're going to choose your family. And family, just like friendship, means those that are close. So my question to you is, who are you close to? Who's close to you? But most importantly, are you close to God? We were created to be in relationship with God. He says, draw close to me, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. Are you close to God? 
Let's continue. Let's get Genesis five is about legacy. Now this one is hard. This one is unfair. Okay, so legacy can be defined as an inheritance, the amount of money or property left to someone in a will. Legacy can be defined as living intentionally and aiming to build into the next generation for their success, right? Leaving them property, leaving them a business, leaving a family name. Legacy can be instructions, certain rules. Everyone's household has certain rules. In this family, we do this. So in Genesis 5, we have 10 generations of instruction. This is what God tells us to do, and this is what we're going to do. This is what God tells us not to do, so we're not going to do this. And blessing comes with these instructions. God says you are blessed when you do what I tell you to do. And you're cursed when you don't do what I tell you to do. Genesis 5 is about wealth. Ten generations of families passing on their wealth, whether that's property or money or whatever. Wealth. And Genesis 5 is about blessings. Ten generations of blessings. Ten generations of good words. Ten generations. And why is that important? Because in this day and age, we compare ourselves to people and let me tell you that is the easiest way to be depressed to compare yourself to people because the reason it is unfair for you to compare yourself to other people is because you don't have the same legacy there are people that are living through 10 20 generations of legacy they have instructions that has been passed down to them for 10 generations so it's a little bit easier for them. There are people that are living through 10 generations of wealth, money being passed down from generation to generation. So things are a little bit easier for them. Doors open for them. God bless them. Don't be sad. Don't be mad. Don't even say it's not fair. God bless them. God bless you if that's you. However, there are a lot of us that there isn't any inheritance. There isn't much instruction. There isn't much wealth. There isn't anything. Some of us were born without an inheritance. So that's very unfortunate, but here's the blessing in that. Here's the blessing. It doesn't mean you have to die without it. It doesn't mean you have to go an entire life without creating instructions or creating wealth. Fellas, you can be the patriarch of your family. What does that mean? You start it. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. We were doing a conference at our church um, back in Miami, and I was hosting this family. I was hosting this family, and they were a family of worship singers, right? The entire family, mom, dad, children, everything. And as the host, my job was to be a fly on the wall. I was just supposed to be there and, and whatever they needed, I, I took care of. And I sat there and I saw something for the first time in my life I've never seen before. There was this grown man, a grown man, and his two teenage sons at the time were laying on his lap while they watched the football game. They just came from worship. They're in the green room, they're tired, they've already sung like three services. 
They're watching a football game. This grown man allowed his two teenage sons to just lay on him. I have never saw that in my life. It broke my heart because I didn't have an, a dad in my house to let me do that. And every friend that I knew that had a dad, it was, you're a man. Show no emotion. So I've never seen that. So what did I do? Something I encourage all of you to do. I walked up to him when he had time, when he was by himself. I was like, how did you get here? How did this happen? He told me something I'll never forget and I'm gonna tell you today. He was like, I didn't have this, I made this. I'm the patriarch of my family. I started this. And he looked me in my eye and said, Chris, you're the patriarch of your family, you started. So if you don't have legacy in this room, whether it's the wealth, whether it's the property, whether it's the instruction, whether it's the blessing, okay, make it. Fellas, you're the patriarch, make it. Ladies, you're the matriarch, make it. Leave something for your children. I don't care if it's $100 more than what you were left with. Great, you did something. Leave something for your children. Genesis 5 is about legacy, but what Genesis 5 really is about, really, it's about the gospel. Genesis 5, the entire Bible is about the gospel. But when we think about the gospel, we think about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, Genesis 5 is a beautiful picture of the gospel. This is what I want. I want you to put on your investigative hat whenever you read the Bible. So in verse 29, it says, he named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in labor and pain, toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord God cursed. How come Noah is the only name we get a definition for? Could it be if Noah has a definition for his name, there's a meaning to Noah's name. These are the 10 names. There's a meaning too. So I, it blew my mind a couple years ago when I, real, when I saw this YouTube video that was titled The Secret Message in Genesis 5. The Secret Message in Genesis 5. God talks to us. So if Noah had a meaning to his name, let's find the meaning to every name in Genesis 5. So let's go down. Adam means man. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Enosh means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. Lamech means the despairing. And Noah means comfort or rest. Noah means comfort or rest. When we put these generations together, when we put these men together, when we put this family line together, this is what it says. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort or rest. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort or rest. That, my friend, is the gospel.
That's the gospel. We don't know the success or the failure of any of these men's lives. But what we do know is the meaning of their lives summed up is the gospel. God died for you. We, we always think of John 3.16, but Mark 10.45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give us his life as a ransom for many. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, therefore there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 8.9, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you may by his poverty become rich. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Listen, when we talk about sin, when we talk about sinners, Everyone in this room, please, I want you to focus on your sin. Too much in the church are we looking at groups of people and looking at individuals and saying, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Scripture is clear. How dare you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and ignore the plank in your eye? It calls us a hypocrite for doing that. So when I'm talking about sin, I'm here to tell you I'm the worst sinner in this room because I know what I did that God didn't approve of. I don't know what you did. Anyway, okay? 1 John 4, 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the prohibition for our sins. Revelations 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people of all nations. The gospel is simply this. God died for you. You sinned yesterday, he died for you. You sinned today, he died for you. You sinned tomorrow, he died for you. And the gospel is that. The meaning of your life is the gospel. Why did God die for you? To give you life, to give you back the relationship we had with God. The meaning of life is to be close to God. Scientists will make it too deep. Philosophy will make it too deep. It's not that deep. We were created to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with others. And the only way we can do that is to have a right relationship with God first. The gospel, the American gospel has been skewed. When I watched the movie, they made this perfect analogy that I want to try and tell you. Right. So they said, imagine that you're on a plane. Right. And it's a long plane, too. Let's say it's an 18 hour flight. You're on a flight. You're on a plane. 18 hours. And the stewardess comes to you and say, hey, here's this parachute, okay? And if you wear this parachute, 
Your life will be comfortable. Your life will be better. You're going to be blessed. Wear the parachute. And you're like, okay, 18 hours. Let me put on this parachute. It's going to give me a better ride, right? It's going to be a, I'm going to look cool. But then you put on the parachute and the parachute's heavy. And, and it makes you bend over. It's uncomfortable. It's not comfortable. You're bending over. You can't, you can't recline. You can't, you can't do this, right? You, you're bending over. It's heavy. It's huge. And everyone's looking at you and they're laughing at you like, why is this person has on a parachute? And you, you have on a parachute. But hour, hour five. And you're like, I can't take this anymore. And you take off the parachute. You'll probably never wear that parachute again. You're upset. You told me this parachute was going to give me comfort. You told me this parachute was going to make this ride better. You're going to be upset. Or let's change it. Let's change it, right? Let's change it. You're on the same flight, 18-hour flight. There's some turbulence. And then the stewardess comes up to you and say, hey, the plane is going to crash in 10 minutes. Put on this parachute. The plane, matter of fact, the plane is going to crash. I don't know when the plane is going to crash. Put on the parachute. You're going to have to on that parachute. It's still heavy. It's still uncomfortable. People are still laughing at you. But you're looking at them who are laughing at you. And you're like, oh my gosh. I don't know what y'all laughing about. But y'all going to need a parachute too. Because the plane is going down. Can I tell you, this plane is going down. The earth no one will save the planet. You can be saved. The earth cannot. In the book, the earth gets thrown into hell. The earth and the heavens, hell. You don't have to. Let me be very clear about this. Hell was not created for me. Hell was not created for you. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. People always ask, how can a good God send his children that he loved to hell? He doesn't. God sends no one to hell. People that end up in hell choose it. Here's what I mean by that. From the age of accountability, some say it's 11, some say it's 18. From the age that you know right and wrong, God gives you the opportunity to choose him. God gives you the opportunity to say, Jesus is Lord. I will follow you. I will repent. Not be perfect. You're going to mess up. But I'm going to try for the rest of my life to live the way Jesus wants me to live. You're going to mess up, but you're going to try. You're going to mess up, but you're going to try. God gives you from the age of accountability to your last breath to say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. And I'm going to live for you. Even when I mess up, I'm going to apologize and live again. That's it. That is it. And if we die, if we die going our entire lives with proclaiming Jesus isn't Lord, I don't have to repent. I don't believe. If you go your entire life thinking that, God is simply going to, at the end of your life, on your last breath says, Cool, I'm going to leave you alone. Do you know what God's wrath is in the Bible? It's not sickness. It's not disease. It's not plagues. It's not poverty. It's not earthquakes and tornadoes. You know God's wrath is him leaving you alone? So could it be hell is God saying, okay, I'm going to leave you alone for all of eternity. 
Hell wasn't created for you or me. So God doesn't send anyone to hell. The gospel is Jesus dying on the cross so you can choose if you want to have a relationship with him or not. So now I ask you, what gospel are we preaching to everyone? Are we going out into the streets and saying, hey, here's the, put it on. You're going to be blessed. Oh, your life is going to be amazing. You're going to be comfortable. You're going to have everything you ever wanted. But those of us that's been saved for a little while, you understand the moment you get saved, life gets a little harder. There's a lot more restrictions. We can't go out and do what everybody else is doing. We have to follow a little bit more rules. You've been saved for a while. You realize people laugh at us. Oh, you believe in the imaginary guy in the sky. Oh, you're a Christian. Uh, it's uncomfortable. So, but if you're telling people to serve Jesus, to have this comfortable life, they're not going to serve Jesus for real long because it's not comfortable serving Jesus. But if you tell people serve Jesus because he loves you and he died for you and eternal life is waiting. Oh, I'm going to serve Jesus. So what's the meaning of your life? What's the meaning of your life? The gospel. God died so that you could live with him. God died so you can have a relationship with him. Realistically, forget your neighbor, forget your brothers, forget your sisters. How do you feel knowing God said, I love you so much that regardless of your mess ups and mistakes, the ones that you've done, the ones that you're doing and the ones that you will do, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will die for you. Doesn't that just do something in your heart? So that's it. That's the message today. In this gospel, the gospel that I'm teaching you, the legacy I want to leave, I can leave you instruction. The legacy I want to leave you is simply this. God so loved the world that whoever believes will have eternal life. Now my question to you is, do you believe? If you believe, repent of your sins and the kingdom of heaven is yours. Amen? Amen. Bye, your heads.